Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. How are you feeling, Stu? You come in, you're always so perky. Thank you. Yeah. You take drugs? Is that what it is? How else would I get through the 20 years with you? <laughs> and I walked right into that. <laughs> um, all right. Welcome to the podcast. It's a uh, it's a really good podcast today. We had Jared Kushner on for the podcast. Fascinating. Yeah, it's the first time I've heard him really speak at length about a lot of this stuff, and it was really good. First time I've heard him really speak. That, <laughs> that's what they. That's what Saturday Night Live said. No yeah. one's ever heard his voice. Yeah. And uh, you hear his voice today, and gosh, it sounds nothing like the caricature the media has portrayed of him. Yeah, if you don't know anything about him, read his book, and you'll be like, holy cow. What? And we didn't get to this. We ran out of time, but he talks about the family hatred of Chris Christie. It's delicious. (laughs) (laughs) So we had him on uh, today. We also had a a really cool salute to the one-year anniversary of the biggest uh, disaster in uh, foreign policy ever, our exit from Afghanistan. That's one-year anniversary on tomorrow. Um... Oh, and gee, that crazy, wacky idea of just redistributing wealth. I mean, this is the biggest redistribution in American history when it comes to taking it from the poor and giving it to the rich. Yeah, that's our sheriff of Nottingham, Joe Biden. We have all that and more on today's podcast brought to you by Relief Factor. Relief Factor, I just read a, um, uh, a commercial for them just a little while ago from a guy who said, I had bad spasms in my back and I you know, tried taking drugs, I did, went to the doctor, I did physical therapy, said I didn't get any relief from anything. He said, I love this, shockingly, this worked. Relief Factor, that is exactly how I felt. When it worked, I'm like, shut up. This worked? After all of everything else, this one's working. I know you're skeptical, but at least just give it a try. If you're in pain, three-week quick start. If it's not working for you in three weeks, it's not going to work. So try it, will you? 1995. 70% of the people who try it go on to order more. It's a drug-free and natural way to get your life back. ReliefFactor.com. That's ReliefFactor.com. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So as expected, Biden is going to cancel $10,000 for all federal student debts uh, up to joint filers earning $250,000. That includes, by the White House's own admission, basically all but the top 5%. The big addition to that is the Pell Grant recipients who have student loans that will get up to $20,000 in debt canceled. Now, here's what I love. I, you know, I feel sorry for the president once in a while because, I mean, he's a, I don't know, he thinks he's Robin Hood or he's a socialist. I don't know, but he doesn't even get the redistribution of wealth right. 
his plan to cancel $10,000 in student debt for anybody who earns up to $125,000 a year is possibly the largest single transfer from poor to rich people in American history. Researchers at the University of Chicago have determined that President Biden's plan will shift an estimated $192 billion in earned income to the top 20% of wage earners. Just $29 billion will go to the bottom 20%. That's insanity. The cost to you will be $427 billion. To put that into perspective, just this loan forgiveness is more than the gross national domestic product of Hong Kong and 182 other countries. If you like social programs, great. This one is 36 times greater than the federal government spent, spent on Head Start in 2022. If you support defense spending, great. This is two and a half times larger than the entire budget of the U.S. Army in 2022. By the way, this doesn't uh, include the non-cancellation elements of the Biden announcement, including proposals to significantly cut many borrowers' monthly payments by more you know, generous loan forgiveness in the future. That's just today. So... People who go to college, especially those who get degrees, and that's where most of the loan is sitting in grad school. Okay, they typically make one point two to three point one million dollars more than those who don't get a degree over a lifetime. Job security because they have a degree. Hmm. So why are the little people helping out those people? By the way, grossly unconstitutional. Congress, not the president, has the spending power. But that hasn't mattered for how long? Experts, including former uh, Obama administration attorney Charles Rose, has argued that Biden lacks the authority. Um, Nancy Pelosi has said the same thing. Even the Department of Energy, or I'm sorry, Education said Biden doesn't, I'm quoting, Biden doesn't have the statutory authority to cancel, compromise, discharge, or forgive on a blanket or mass basis, principal balance of student loans and or to materially modify the repayment uh, amounts of terms thereof. Pelosi's now reversed herself on this. Oh, you've got to be kidding. She's like, oh, no, it's a bold plan. Oh, my gosh. The Department of Education is now they're, they're citing that as specifically as having this authority, even though they themselves have said they don't have it. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. OK, so what happens when we pour roughly another half trillion dollars into the economy? This is gasoline on the inflationary fire. It's already burning out of control by Jason Furman, the Harvard economist and former advisor to Obama. 
He said the bill will increase inflation by 0.2% or 0.3%, and that is likely underestimated. The knowledge that a president can unilaterally reduce student loan balances will cause debtors to upwardly revise their view of their own future income, uh, encouraging more spending. In fact, please play the cut we just played uh, from um, Elizabeth Warren. Here's what she said yesterday. Ultimately, what the data show us is that because of student loan debt, there are many people who don't move out of their mama's basement, who can't save up money to buy a home, uh, who don't start small businesses, who don't start a family. You relieve the debt burden some for those people, and we have more economic activity. In other words, canceling student loan debt is good for the people whose debt is canceled, but it is also good for our economy and the rest of America. How? How? We don't want more spending. That's why the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates to to make people stop spending money. The idea of inflation to fight inflation, you've got to get the average Joe to stop. Have you ever heard? We got to slow this economy down. It's it's overheating. What does that mean? That means they're going to penalize you through taxes and higher interest rates to get you to stop spending money. These people are just, they are criminally insane or they are just criminals. What they're doing to this country is criminal. By the way, it's not debt forgiveness. It's debt transfer. We'll get into that later. Here we are living where food prices are the most since 1974. Rents are soaring. The median rent payment for Bank of America customers, they're paying 7.4% in July more than last July. How about, hey, how's your energy bill? How is that air conditioning bill? Do you know that one in every six Americans are behind in their energy bill to the point of being cut off? One in six Americans owe around $800 that they just can't pay. Energy's through the roof. And what are these people doing? What are they doing? They're Biden. He's shutting down our minds while sending our money to Canada to their minds. I mean, this is taxing us oh nobody's gonna well you the average person is gonna cost is gonna have to pay now two thousand dollars just for this the average american has to pony up two grand uh okay where are we gonna get that where are you going to get that? Uh, it makes perfect sense though right everyone ponies up two grand to pay 20 percent of the population 10 grand Right, like that's that's, that's just a transfer of wealth. That's all it is. If you are that's not a recipient is. here, you're going to lose badly. And if you are a recipient here, it'll feel good for a short period of time and it'll screw with the economy so badly that you will wind up losing all these benefits anyway. That's what happened with inflation. They gave all these trillions of dollars away during COVID and then all of it got wiped out by inflation within uh, you know a couple of years. 
the other how about deficit reduction we just passed this inflation reduction act which one of the main selling points for it was it was going to reduce the budget deficit or debt by 300 billion dollars over 10 years in eight days they spent all of that money plus another 70 percent in eight days by the way um, they think that this is going to because we'll be in even more problems with the loan situation by 2025. They're expecting another one uh, of one point six billion dollars. No, sorry. One point six trillion dollars. <laughs> we don't comment on bills that are worth one point six. We just gave three billion to Ukraine yesterday. Yeah, we didn't even comment on it. This is crazy. This is absolutely. L- listen to me. Please, everything we've talked about over the years, it's happening. It's all happening. And you have got to understand that things can go awry. All we're waiting for is an event. I mean, think of this. Think of we get into a real energy situation, which we could this winter. We get into a situation where people cannot afford to heat their house. We're going to have another bailout. But that, that's just putting a Band-Aid on the problem. In fact, it's re-injuring another part of your body. It, 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 it will only make things worse. And what are they doing? They're getting rid of all of our energy. And they're saying this is a good thing for us. It is not a good thing. These people have got to be stopped. We have got to get out and vote. If we could possibly win the Senate, I don't know how that's going to happen. But if we could possibly win the Senate, that's the best thing that could happen to us. But we have to win the House. Have to. This stuff has got to stop. And the Republicans aren't going to be able to do anything except stop it. But if they don't stop it in its tracks, if we don't, this is insanity, insanity. You're going to have blackouts. Imagine having blackouts throughout the country. That means you can't pump gas. That means your bank is not going to be working. How long do you think? Remember, remember Katrina? You've got 72 hours, 72 hours. If people don't think that something's going to happen, that good guys are coming. You've got 72 hours of safety before the bad guys start to go. Oh, there's nobody coming. It's going to go on for a while. It's not good. By the way, this is exactly what we said would happen in 2009. You know why we're in this situation? Because Barack Obama insisted on putting and taking all all loans onto the federal system in 2009. He said, no, 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 banks shouldn't be involved in that. We're going to take that on ourselves. And we told you at that time, man, stop listening to people that have lied to you or who have, who have just been so dramatically wrong. It was more important for them to score points 
and say, oh, what an idiot he is. What an idiot. What a conspiracy theorist. I don't care what their motivation is, but just recognize who has been telling you what's really going on. Do not dismiss these warnings, please. We told you in 2009, this is what's going to happen. No, that's crazy. Look, here's the, here's the one thing that you really need to know. Socialism and Marxism has collapsed this country. We are not the America we have been before. We are not a constitutional republic. It has to be restored. It has to be restored. It has to be saved, even if it is in the hearts of her people. It has to be saved. It has to be preserved. Biden, if he's a socialist, man, he's the worst socialist ever. He's robbing the poor to pay the rich. That doesn't make you Robin Hood, man. That makes you the sheriff of Nottingham. You're not, you're not Robin Hood. They try to make it always look up. We're Robin Hood. This is what we are. But when you're the king and you have an army or a bunch of sheriffs that come to the doors of the common man, demand taxes, and it all goes to the rich and connected, you can't claim to be the good guy. You're the reason Robin Hood existed. He was fighting you. This is a massive slap in the face of every American. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. I'm going to go through some of the stories that uh, we're just not going to have time to hit. And, and honestly, in today's show throughout, I'm hitting about uh, maybe 40% of the news that you will find in my daily show prep newsletter. This is, uh, I don't think anybody has ever done it to this detail before. I just, uh, it's raw news. Um, and it is what I read every morning, what my staff, my uh, all of my producers work on for 21 hours. After a show, we begin show prepping immediately for the next day show. And uh, about six months ago, I just felt that the news was so important and I couldn't get it all into the show. And you might miss something I hit in, you know, hour one or hour three or whatever. So we released it uh, after much debate and uh, you can get it now at glenbeck.com. It is free. Just sign up for it. I'm using about 40% of what's in that newsletter today is on the program today. Um, but let me just give you some, let me just give you some of the highlights. Cause I think today for some reason, uh, after going through all of it, I thought this today is different. There's something different about the news and I haven't been able to put my finger on it. It feels like the most important news day of my life, of my career. But I, I, that's not quite right, and I don't know what it is, but maybe you can figure it out. Let me give you some of the uh, stories. Atlanta police identify a man accused of defacing rainbow crosswalks with swastikas. So, of course, they arrested this white Nazi. Oh, no, he's not a white Nazi. He's a black nationalist. 
he has a uh, an account online where he talks openly about killing people and how blacks are the master race. The vandalism, of course, when they were. It's got to be white nationalists that are doing probably white Christian nationalists. No, it wasn't. Some of his posts make reference to a master race of black people. Other posts are religious in nature. He targets Jehovah Witnesses for portraying biblical figures as white. Um, you know, he is uh, he's, he's not a well man, but he's also black. Um, Biden has announced yesterday another three billion dollars in arms for Ukraine my research staff is working right now. There is something very wrong with the money that we're sending over there. There's something very wrong. And I, I think old scores are being settled. Old political scores. Remember, this was the playground of George Soros, of Hillary Clinton, of Barack Obama, of, of Joe and Hunter Biden. This, this was a funnel of money. That's just been lost. We've sent over there, and this is, you know, 10 years ago. Just lost. Don't know what happened. Where did I put that $1.8 billion? I just can't find it. Did I leave it in my other suit? Um, and I, I don't have any evidence now, but I have a feeling if you want to start looking up some things, if you're good at being an investigative mole, but I'm telling you something, something's really wrong there. Uh, the Biden administration has now moved to formalize DACA, to protect 600,000 migrants from any kind of legal challenge. By the way, we're up to 4 million people that have come into the United States under his watch. Um, also, Biden has now moved to fund Canadian mines while blocking U.S. mining. that great? Love that. It's good for Canada. Mexican journalist was killed hours after publishing a story about local officials' involvement in, a dis- in the disappearance of 43 students in 2014. These buses filled with these students was found just shot all up. We know that they were surrounded by police. They came in for some reason. They just opened fire on these buses, and then the bodies were gone. Kids were gone. What happened? No investigation until this guy starts to question and he publishes something online. He's killed within a couple of uh, hours. Spotify. Now, this is interesting. Spotify spends how much? A hundred million dollars on Joe Rogan. Wasn't that what it was? That was what it was reported as. I think it was, you know, a lot of reports that it was even more than that. Okay. So let's just say it's a hundred million. That's a lot of money for a company. Their biggest investment when it comes to podcasting. By far. By far. Did you know that Spotify, now as they started looking into this, never recommends the Joe Rogan podcast? (laughs) That's That's like watching ABC and they say, tonight... It's a new episode of your favorite show on NBC. Oh, and we're running this stuff, too. Well, they're not advertising. They are not suggesting it. He's cut out of the algorithm. Washington Post, a rape survivor, a rape survivor, 
says the Washington Post falsely ascribed to me the view that the court's decision in Dobbs, the abortion case, to open the door of forced sterilizations by removing constitutional protections for women's bodily autonomy was false. My position is, in fact, the opposite. She was raped as a 13-year-old girl and then sterilized against her will by the state of North Carolina after bringing her baby to term. We're still doing progressive sterilizations? What, why is that happening? I, th- I thought we stopped that in the 1920s and 30s. By the way, so you know, the Germans didn't come up with it. We did. We taught eugenics to them. Literally, the top eugenicists in the, in the world were in America. And they made a journey over to uh, Ger- Germany to explain to all of the very sophisticated German progressive science scientists what could be done through eugenics. They learned that from us. Judicial Watch, a great organization that really, if you can help an organization, they, they are really good. They just filed a FOIA lawsuit against the National Archives for hiding the records tied to uh, the raid on Trump's home. And yet another senseless murder. A progressive George Soros prosecutor in Virginia dropped charges against a felon with a history of gun charges. Now, I can guarantee you, if you're caught on a gun charge or I'm caught on a gun charge, they will throw away the key. But this guy was a felon with a history of gun charges. He was let out. He was freed by the Soros prosecutor. Well, he didn't use his time well. Francis Rose shot two innocent bystanders in the head while robbing an apartment complex in Alexandria, Virginia. By the way, Alexandria, Virginia used to be a pretty safe place. It's right across the Potomac River from Washington, D.C. It used to be a place where you didn't fear for your life. At some point, this is all the gods of the copybook headings. That the truth will return. It has to. The question is, how much of everything will it burn down in our (laughs) quest to reestablish it? Because everything we're doing now, the Constitution never foresaw any of this. Any of this. Because this, this is all insanity. I mean, literally, it, we have gone insane. We will be remembered as the craziest, and God, please destroy us before we can use our technology. Please destroy us. Um, 
if if we're not careful, we will become the darkest nation ever. We will go from the the shining city on the hill to with our modern technology in the hands of the wrong people. We'll kill millions, hundreds of millions. We will make Mao look like a rookie. And I fear that's already happening in some of our policies, but they're right now they're not our policies. They're going to be blamed on America, but it is the World Economic Forum and their policies. And it's so important for you to know that this is not an American problem. Yes, we're dealing with it here, but every Western country in the world is dealing with it as well. That's why you see protest, and that's why you're not being shown the protests. Have you ever lived in a time where there have been massive protests in Europe and you don't see them on the news? Why is that, I wonder? Because they don't want, to, they don't want you to see what they're facing because they're ahead with the farmers. They're ahead of us. And what the farmers are saying now is none of this works. You're going to starve all of Europe and the world to death if you continue down this road. Because we cannot farm that way. They don't want you seeing that. You have to actually go search for it. So do. Just look up European protests, farmers, and see the truth of what these policies that have now been given power and teeth through the um, Inflation Reduction Act. The EPA has been given the power, the money, and the teeth to enforce this now on our farmers. Read all about these things uh, every day. You can find my newsletter at glenbeck.com. Glenbeck.com, it is a free service to you. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Do you remember this from Saturday Night Live? And I was sitting in my little cush ball, Jared Kushner. You're unbelievable. Jared, I've sent you all around the world to represent me. But no one's ever heard you speak. You're like a little Jewish Amelie. You know, it's amazing. In the time, that guy went on to shoot somebody on the set and kill him. Uh, Alec Baldwin, which I didn't see coming. And also, I don't think people saw coming the, the Abrahamic Accords. Jared Kushner joins us now. Uh, and his, uh, his new book that is out, Breaking History, a White House memoir. Hello, Jared. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for having me, and thank you for reminding me of that uh, that, that SNL skit. That was yeah. quite funny. I mean, they really hammered you. At one point, they put you in little short pants, and I don't know about you. I think you, based on that response, feel the same way. When they first started mocking me on Saturday Night Live, I thought, wow, I've made it somehow or another. Um, <laughs> even if they're making fun of you, that's, that's great, e- even better. Um, but how... Everybody said, Jared Kushner, how could you possibly send him to the Middle East? We've been trying to crack this code for 80 years now. And yet you did. Can you talk a little bit about what you write about in the book 
about how you crack that? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, it, it, it was definitely a challenge that when we got involved, it was, it, I don't know, maybe they thought I couldn't make it any worse than all the professionals who'd worked on it for <laughs> decades before. But, uh, but, but what I did was I went there, and, and I write about this extensively in my book, uh, how my first year was really spent just listening. I, I was meeting with all the different leaders, and I was asking them questions, which they actually had a hard time processing at first because they were so used to not having these questions asked, which is America has so much power to influence things, and we've done some things that actually have made this region much worse. If you were in my shoes, what would you be doing? And, and finally, it got to really interesting conversations, and I listened to everyone's point of view, and I, I really realized that peace is about the future, and that you have to get people to focus on their joint interests. So let's put everyone on the same side of the table. And then there were certain patterns that became very clear to me that were contrary to what all the conventional wisdom was. And there's one example I give in the book where I was meeting with one of the great foreign policy uh, academics who, who's well-respected. And I, I laid out for him my approach. And I said to him, well, do you think I have a chance of succeeding? And he said, absolutely not. And I said, why so negative? He said, Jared, nobody's made any money betting on success in the Middle East in the last 25 years. So I mm -hmm. like that you're bringing new ideas, but you just have no chance of being successful. But ultimately, I think by building strong relationships, by thinking outside the box, again, I write a lot in this book about uh, President Trump and my interactions with him and my interactions with all the world leaders. We took a fresh approach. We tried to be empirical. We tried to be pragmatic. We saw things for what they were. And again, we were ruthlessly criticized for the approach we took in the Middle East up until it worked. So in the book, you talk about David Freeman, um, and he's a bankruptcy lawyer in Manhattan. And he suggested, and you guys decided to use, uh, to look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict like a bankruptcy. So um, can you explain that? And is it that you guys were not... You know, Council of Foreign Relations, years and years at the State Department that you came from a business background and had a totally fresh set of eyes. So, so you have to always look at a situation and put yourself in the other people's shoes and try to figure out what are the fulcrum components that are driving a situation. And so when we look at the situation you know, you, you couldn't equate the Israelis and the Palestinians. One was a democracy, one was a kleptocracy. One had a super powerful military. One was basically, you know, just, just kind of a, it was, it was kind of a, a con job at some point. And so we saw it for what it was and we weren't trying to be balanced. We were trying to be honest. And I think that that really, uh, really was, was, was distorting for a lot of people. So we, we saw that the whole Palestinian situation was, uh, they got billions of dollars of aid. There was, it was never conditions based. And we basically said like, you know, U.S. foreign aid is not an entitlement. If we're going to give you this money, uh, we want to see certain things happen. And so we worked very hard over a couple of years to do certain things. And again, I give President Trump tremendous credit for what he did, because when he moved the embassy, I, I take people into the Situation Room and how he had opposition from Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, the Not intel bad. community said World War III would occur. And what he basically did was he calibrated uh, all the different advice. He made a very measured decision, decided to go forward with it, despite the advice of everyone that it was going to cause war. Uh, he tasked me with reaching out to all the different leaders and saying, look, you know, don't, you can't cherry pick your relationship with America. We're helping you with Iran. We're helping you with military. We're helping you with economy. You know, don't, don't mess around with this. And so he made the decision. Uh, everyone said the world was going to end. And then what happened was the next morning, the sun rose, the next evening, the sun set and life moved on and it was done. And the same thing happened with the Iran deal. So President Trump was starting to realize that certain variables that people thought 
were fixed were actually fluid. And I give many examples in the book of these interactions and how we moved around all these different uh, elements in order to create the opportunity for people to see the Israeli-Palestinian issue for what it really was and to see that it really was about leadership trying to stay in power so they could maintain the flow of funds that they had. And they had no interest in making the lives of their people better. I believe that the, the, the job of a, of a leader is number one, to keep their people safe, and number two, to give them an environment where they can have opportunity to better their lives and their children's lives and have hope and, 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 and excitement for the future. So, and the Palestinian leadership was, was, was not doing that. In your uh, book, we're talking to Jared Kushner in his book, Breaking History, a White House memoir. Um, you, you talk about one of the things that you were doing was, and totally makes sense. You united the Middle East, um, because you recognized the common foe was Iran and that kind of brought people together. And, and when your dad, or when your father-in-law, the president got out of, uh, the Iran, um, uh, you know, the stupid, dangerous Iran, uh, peace deal, um, that made a difference. How much of a role did that play? And what does it mean that we are sitting down at the table with Iran now? So, so the first deal in 2014 was probably one of the worst transactions ever done. It may be in the history of, of diplomacy. And it just made absolutely no sense. Iran was on a glide path to a nuclear weapon. Uh, they had gotten $150 billion in funds that were basically now they were using to, to fund Hezbollah, Hamas, all these different people. They were chanting death to America, death to Israel. It made absolutely no sense. But what it did is it kind of scared the crap out of all of the Arab countries to say, okay, this is uh, this could be that bad. And actually, when we got there, they were starting to rebuild their relationship with China and saying, look, are we, you know, when, when America went and did the deal with Persia, we were thinking we had to teach our kids Chinese because America was not dependable anymore. And we said, wait, guys, wait, wait a minute, calm down here. These, these, these relationships that we've had with you guys have been longstanding, many, many decades. You know, we, we agree that what happened here was terrible, but let's figure out a rational policy. And we, we, what we did is we reimposed sanctions on Iran. We took their, um, their oil exports down from 2.6 million barrels a day to 100,000. Uh, we wow. really dissected their economy, and we, 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 they were out of foreign currency reserves, and we stopped. And what Trump you say about Iran is that they never uh, won a war, but they've never lost a negotiation. And so he figured out how to really create a better condition than what we inherited. And we really tried to give the incoming administration a much stronger hand, which was only buttressed by the fact that we had Iraq much more stable than when we got there. ISIS caliphate was, was, was eliminated. And now we have the Abraham Accords. So all the way from Haifa, our goal is to try to create a, a place of security from Haifa to Muscat in, in Oman and then get economic connectivity between it all Jeez. to basically show the Iranian people that there would be the opportunity for you to live a better life if you join into this. So instead of following, again, we had six peace deals in the last six months. I write about how we made those uh, occur. Uh, instead, the administration runs and goes back to Iran on their knees, begging to make the old stupid deal. And so it, it makes no sense to me. But again, I think that what you'll see in this book is that we came with an outsider's perspective. We, we tried to bring common sense. And again, we, we really broke the mold on a lot of issues and did things contrary to what people who were the conventional thinkers in Washington did and why they did those things for decades before we got there. I didn't understand and why they're going back to some of these things now that you know we've seen that these policies that, that were different are working uh, makes absolutely no sense. Uh, we are going to be short on time. So I, uh, there's so many questions I'd like to ask you. For instance, uh, you know, if you would have thrown in bad stuff about <laughs> President Trump, 
you would have made a fortune and the left would have loved you and leave left you alone and you didn't do it congratulations yeah i i've learned that the 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 love of the left is something that is uh it's not worth what people think it is i see people contorting themselves and saying certain things that they don't believe or not saying certain things that they believe uh but the left has no loyalty they turn on you in a second and uh i think it's much better to say the truth and yeah. and look i i do think that being in the white house i i saw so much information asymmetry in terms of how we recovered what we did uh, but again, there was two currents in this book that, that I tried to capture uh, happening at the same time. One was that we run to relentless attacks, being accused of collusion with Russia and treason, and then you know uh, impeached for, for trying to investigate corruption in Ukraine and attacked by the media. And I tried to show what it was like living through all of that while also getting all these things done, right? When President Trump, uh, you know, in office, we had uh, inflation was low, gas prices were low, wages were rising, the wealth gap was shrinking, we had peace in Europe, we had peace with, you know, with China, we were making great deals, we had them on their back foot. And that didn't all happen by accident. And so I tried to take people inside the room and the trade deals, the negotiations with President Putin, the negotiations with, with King Salman, the negotiations with, with President Xi, and how Trump used his unusual style in order to achieve these outcomes. And at the end of the day, I, I find a lot of my friends who are on the left, they hyperventilate over different things that Trump will say or how they, they, they perceive it. But I think that results matter. And I want people to understand how those results were achieved. And it's been very disheartening for me to watch how, again, you put the government bureaucrats back in charge and inflation is rising. We have a war in Europe. China's you know, being provocative with Taiwan. North Korea's firing off weapons. I write in, the, in here about how Trump was able to create the relationship with King Jong, Kim Jong-un and going to the DMZ, how he you know, walked into North Korea. Nobody knows how that came about and how it almost didn't happen uh, many, many times. And so I wanted people to really understand how he did the things and why him being the way he is, empowered by and, and working with the right people around him, enabled him to accomplish so much. Um, your your book is fascinating and it, it it i mean it really is a thriller it, it, all of the things you just laid out it is it's a thriller um uh let me ask you one thing because there was there's parts of the book that get very very personal and uh one of my favorite parts is when you talk about your grandma and we've only got about two minutes your grandmother was 16 when the nazis invaded poland your family went from ghettos to mansions in three generations, which is remarkable. Can you talk a little bit what your grandmother went through and how that affected you with the Abrahamic Accords? Sure. Uh, so my, my grandparents were both in, uh, in Belarus and, and then the Nazis came in. My grandmother, I write about how in her town they took uh, 50 of the educated Jews. They shot them in the head, the Nazis, and then they made the young women uh, like my grandmother clean the blood off of the stones while they had, you know, other Jews playing instruments to, to, to celebrate it. It, it was a brutal experience. They joined the, the resistance fighters in the woods. They were, you know, out of a town of 10,250 uh, that escaped. And then ultimately they got married in Hungary. They came over to America on a boat. I write about how my grandfather went to New Jersey. He was a carpenter. He said he was afraid of heights, so he couldn't work in the buildings in Brooklyn. So they said, go to New Jersey. They have shorter buildings there. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just an amazing American story. And so I, I try to take people through that very quickly. But I'll, I'll say that for me, you know, again, I, I, what I saw working in the White House going from 
you know, the son of refugee, uh, the grandson of refugees, is that America is an absolute amazing country. It's a, it's a place with incredible opportunity. We have amazing people. And what President Trump tried to do with the administration was to allow for the American dream to, to be prevalent, to allow for it to be deep, to give everyone equal opportunity. Uh, and I think that's what our policies did. And for me to be able to work on the Abraham Accords as a grandchild of Holocaust survivors, and you know, I talk about my interactions with the Germans, where I was actually very disappointed with the, the lack of enthusiasm and the lack of of, 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 of engagement that they had with us, given that, you know, the whole plight that we still have in the Middle East, I explained how it really is a, a, a remnant of the post-World War II anti-Semitism that existed because of the Holocaust and because of the Nazis. And so I, I just think that it, it was an amazing honor to do it. And, and I say it is an extraordinary story. And I really, you know, I, I believe that God has his hand in, in everything we do. I'm a I, I'm very, very uh, big believer in that. And just very, very grateful for all these experiences. And again, I, it, a lot of it was very difficult. I write in the first year about how I had to adjust. I was surrounded by a lot of complicated people. Um, but I go through the lessons I learned. And I was trying to give people who have never served in Washington, who, who obviously have followed the Trump administration, who follow politics, a real insight into what it's like to serve in Washington, what it's like to, to work in the White House, and what it's like to kind of navigate and all the lessons I learned so that hopefully uh, businessmen will, will continue to go and serve in government so we don't have the career political class that often is trying to keep power as opposed to make people's lives better. Jared Kushner, uh, the name of the book is Breaking History. Uh, if you don't know, where have you been? He was a former senior advisor to President Trump. Uh, and this book is really a, a thriller to see from the inside what was going on and how they did the things that uh, they did. By the way, you were nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Please tell me you didn't lose it to like Greta Thunberg. Or... <laughs> no, I, okay. I, I lost it to a journalist who nobody's ever heard of. Okay. We did something, I guess. But, but I guess I, I, I guess they created more peace than we did. Yeah, so it's, yeah, uh, it's crazy. But, uh, you know, I, I, it's, 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 you know, the, 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 the peace is the prize, yeah, and, I and I see every day. I get, you know, people send me pictures of Israeli fruit being sold in Emirati supermarkets, or of new flights, or of new business deals being done, and and really reuniting Israelis and 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 Muslims. It's just uh, Jews and Muslims. In, in the Middle East, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. And so the dividends from this is, is yeah. paying forever in terms of the positivity that, that, that it's unleashed. Well, I think it was truly a miracle. I agree with you. God was in the center of that. And I can't thank you enough. Jared Kushner, author of the book, no, Breaking History. Thank you History. so much. Thank you. Na, 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 na.